0: Serve an awesome God amen amen if you would open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans book of Romans chapter 12 Romans 12 and if you would stand with me please as we read God's word today Romans chapter 12 we'll begin reading in verse 9 when you got it say so And it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So very much for your love toward us, for your grace, and for the beautiful, beautiful reminders, Lord God, that you are in control, that you are high, you are lifted up, you are holy, seated on the throne of glory. And so we bow to you in our hearts this morning, asking that you would open our ears, that we would be able to hear what you are saying to your church. God, speak to us. And Lord, give us the faith to respond. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you one, so that way you are able to follow along in the introduction of the sermon, and you're able to take some notes. And as always, I remind you, as a disciple of Jesus, this is a tool that you can utilize in order to help someone else grow in their faith. And so, I don't think uh, I can't think of any other other thing to do um, that would help you grow and help someone else grow than to simply sit down and talk about what you are learning about God's word here on Sunday mornings. And so. It'll help both of you. I encourage you to do that. Um, So Romans 12, we're continuing on as the Apostle Paul has made this transition from what Jesus has done to to what we are called to do and how it is that we are called to live. This morning, I want to talk about real love. If you look at your outline there, I think we can all agree on this. There is no doubt the present cultural climate is in dire need of an infusion of unhypocritical love. Would anybody say amen to that? Our culture is in desperate need of that. What I believe, and this is me looking at the church, having conversations, you guys know that I I don't just um, fellowship with Core Faith Church, I fellowship with other churches in the city of Oviedo. What you may not know is that I also fellowship with churches outside of Oviedo. And when I say churches, I don't mean like the large buildings and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about people that are part of the church. And the one thing that I can say for sure is this, is that the church over the last few years has allowed itself to be torn apart by cultural pressures. Rather than uniting around the gospel, around our missional mandate, and around the Savior who died for us in an an offensive posture, we have become mouthpieces for the enemy. And that may seem heavy, but you know, um, Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And so when you start accusing your brethren, you know, your brothers that may not look like you, may not believe exactly like you, may not think just like you, guess what you become? You become a mouthpiece for the enemy. And so what I can say is that I have sit, sit, sat back and I have seen this deterioration of love within the body of Christ. I've seen this deterioration of care and concern, honor and respect from one to the other. There's so much that is there. And so what we have to do is look at what the scriptures say and we should be uniting around the gospel. We should be uniting around Christ, uniting around the mission that God has given us and be this light that is within this world. So we must strive to be that infusion of life through manifested love. So you know what that means? That means our behavior has to change. Behavior has to change, right? It's behavior modification. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He's saying, listen, you guys, and we've already gone through chapter 1 through 11, I won't go through all that again, but there's two different cultures that are colliding here. There is Gentile culture, there is Jewish culture. It's colliding. There's all kinds of racism and bigotry that is involved in there. There's all kind of ugliness that is happening that has been going on for all kinds of um, time and all kinds of years. And guess what? Jesus comes on the scene to, 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 to deal with all of that on the cross and he says what you know what I'm doing I'm building one body of one people I'm bringing people together for my glory and for my namesake and so I'm taking culture and I'm making culture your culture that you grew up in is less important than the culture that I'm building in Christ it's less important than what I'm building in my kingdom because I am building a kingdom y'all know God is building a kingdom right He's building a kingdom that doesn't look like anything that we have ever seen. That was one of the main issues, right, with the, with the disciples and everybody. They thought what? They thought that Jesus was coming on the scene to do what? To go on ahead and just establish his kingdom and kick Rome off the throne and Israel was going to rise to power and that's how they were going to do it. That wasn't what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to show a different way and manifest his kingdom that is here now. And here's what I want you to understand about behavior modification. Think about this this morning. Behavior modification only works when it's the result of heart transformation. Behavior modification only works when it is the result of heart transformation. See, here's, here's one of the issues, and this is why this um, thought of behavior modification gets a bad rap within the church among some um, brethren. It is because we think that Christianity is all about just doing good stuff, right? So one group thinks that, and then all of a sudden we just want to give people a bunch of moral indicatives and, or, you know, imperatives that they have to live by, a bunch of things that they have to do. And, and one group is saying, hey, that, that that's not what Christianity is about. And I would argue, I think that Christianity is a both-and. I think it's about us understanding what Jesus has done, and us living out of that. That's what I think it is. I think that's what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, that's what the Apostle Paul does throughout every one of his epistles. You know what he does? He explains to us, he solidifies in our hearts what Jesus has done and what you can never do for yourself. You can never be good enough to save yourself. You can never be good enough to rise to the call of righteousness and holiness the way that God mandates it. You and I will never be that. However, once we understand and we get our heads around, it's like Paul allows us to get our heads around this reality that this is what Jesus has done. But then he comes back and says, now this is what you're called to do. And so it's not, but here's the the disconnect. There is one group of people, they love this side over here. They love to know all about what Jesus did. They love to be reminded about everything Jesus has done and everything that Jesus did for us. And then there's another group, and this is within the church. There's this other group. They want to know all about what you're supposed to do for Jesus. They want to focus on that. And what we have to do as a church that's going to be centered around the gospel is do what? Is recognize both. These go hand in hand. This doesn't save you over here. Your works do not save you. Your works accompany your salvation. What Jesus has done should produce heart transformation. It is us sitting down. How many of you guys, let me ask a real quick question. How many of you attempt, we'll just say attempt, right? Attempt to memorize some verses in the Bible throughout the year? Maybe one verse a year, maybe, right? You may not be perfect, right? Now, I want, to th- I want you to think about this, about those verses that you try to memorize. How many of those verses are verses that are telling you about what Jesus has done for you? How many of those verses are like that? Or, or, or are you the type of person that is memorizing verses that tell you what you need to do, right? And, and, and there's no wrong. I'm just asking the question. Because in my heart, I feel like, you know what I need to do? I need to be reminded constantly what Jesus has done for me. Because that motivates me to live for him. It motivates me to honor him. It motivates me to bring glory to him. And so that's what we want to do here. So again, behavior modification only works when it is rooted. It's the result of heart transformation. And so Paul speaks here. Remember, he talked in chapter 1, one and 2. He t- he talked about us being a living sacrifice. And so he's continuing to unpack that thought. And so he dealt with the gifts and the way that we should think last in in the first part of this chapter. And now what he's going to do here is he is going to address something specific of the way that we deal and how we interact with one another. And so he talks about love here. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is They real love love. is unhypocritical. unhypocritical. Real love is unhypocritical. Now now, now think about that for a moment because Paul says here in verse 9, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Now, now that, that that's a big, that, that's a huge statement, right? Because he's saying you're supposed to love without hypocritical actions and behaviors. And even go further and think about the motives of your heart when you are loving others. But don't be hypocritical in it. As a matter of fact, if you read in some of your Bibles, you'll notice that the word let and be are there, and they're italicized, which means that they are added there by the translators to bring clarity to the thought. But in actuality, what the word says is love without hypocrisy. Love without hypocrisy. Love others without hypocrisy. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the greatest complaints that I have ever heard about Christianity, and listen, this has not changed over the last few years. As we've been torn apart, this has been like the big declaration. It is hypocrisy within the church. Anybody heard that? I won't ask you if you said it because, you know, I don't want to put you out there like that, but here's the thing hypocrisy within the church has been an issue. And it's funny because this morning, and and, and and Minister Lewis didn't know that I'm, well, he did know, but I know that he wasn't like going through my notes because I sent him my notes before I get up here. But nonetheless, as we were praying this morning, he he, he was praying and he, and he prayed about hypocrisy. And he was talking about the hypocrisy in the world. And what I realized is that th- this is the issue. It's not that people are not hypocrites in general. It's that suddenly when you become a Christian, you're not allowed to be a hypocrite. Now you have to be perfect. Now let me ask you a question. Let's just be honest. By a show of hands, real quick, how many of you in this room are perfect? So let me ask you this. How many of you in in this room are hypocrites? (laughs) (laughs) If you ain't perfect, you're a hypocrite. Come on now. See, there's no, there, there's no way to slice that, right? Like, either I'm perfect or I'm a hypocrite. It's either or. <laughs> so we're all hypocrites. Let's just go home right now. Let's just, let's call it a day. We're all hypocrites. That's just real. You know why? Because we are all, all of us are going to fall short of the glory of God. Here is the only difference. Here is where the difference lies. The difference is for Christians, two things. Number one, Jesus died for your hypocrisy. He didn't die so you can live as a hypocrite. He died because you are a hypocrite. Are you here? The second thing is this. As believers, we must be humble enough to recognize our hypocrisy. When we are hypocritical, when we mistreat someone, when we say something we shouldn't, when we do something we shouldn't, we must be willing to own it. And that is what should differentiate the world from Christians. Is that we recognize, man, we are hypocrites. We do have moments, and we don't continue to live in that, right? Because a real hypocrite would be one to just recognize, yeah, I'm a hypocrite, that's just me. No! We're called to live to this higher standard. So Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. And so here's the thing. Just as there is no greater deterrent than hypocrisy, there is no greater encouragement than unhypocritical love. So the question is, what does, uh, what, what does loving without hypocrisy look like? And I want to say this. It is not a singular act. It is a lifestyle. It's not just a one-time thing that you do that makes you not a hypocrite. In that moment, it is you living a life that is striving to love without hypocrisy. Let me say this. When you and I commit to loving without hypocrisy, we will grow in our living without hypocrisy. When we commit to loving without hypocrisy, we will begin to grow in our living without hypocrisy in our life. It doesn't mean that we're not going to fall short. It just means that we are striving toward that aim of perfection. We're striving to live for the glory of God. And that's what we as Christians are called to do. And so what does Paul say? Paul gives us what it looks like, I think, of, to love unhyp- unhypocritically. So the first thing, look at the verse. It says, abhor what is evil abhor what is evil that's a strong word hate what is evil christians we are supposed to hate what is evil but can i tell you something above everything else you need to hate what is evil in the mirror hello see unhypocritical love abhors what is evil not just in others but what's inside of you it hates what is evil inside of you. It recognizes that sin that is lurking, that is, that is waiting for the opportunity to rise up. It hates and abhors to that evil. It also, in the same tone, it, it hates what is evil because it recognizes the effects of evil. Are you here? It hates what is evil in the world. It hates what is evil in the lives of others because it recognizes, man, if you keep living like this, If you keep doing those things, if you keep adhering to that ideology, you know what's going to happen? You're going to end up in this place, and I don't want that for you. I hate what is evil. We have to hate what is evil. We are to cling to what is good. Hold on. Be glued to literally what is good. And so we hold on to the good. We hold on to the things that are righteous. We live those things for God's glory, and we encourage those in the lives of others. He says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love love and honor giving preference to one another so be kindly affectionate to one another and brotherly love and so what is he saying here's what i want you to think about earlier he says let love be without hypocrisy so let agape that agape love that unconditional love that preferential love that god shows the greater loving the lesser right that's that's what agape love is it's a love where god chooses to love you he does not have to love you he chooses to love you right that's what agape love is and so what I want you to grasp is that agape love is what solidifies your phileo love, right? Because it's brotherly love, is that word phileo, it's that brotherly love, right? It's that, that type of love there. I, I read this quote and I thought that this was awesome. This is what it means to do this. Love the brothers of the faith as brothers of the blood. Love the brothers of the faith as brothers of blood. Now I want you to, I want you to answer yourself this question now. Do you love your brothers in Christ? equivalent to your biological brothers (laughs) okay the brothers you love all right the biological brothers you actually love right we'll go there we'll go there see because here's something that I notice, right what I notice is that man we will tolerate our family a whole lot more than we'll tolerate our brothers and sisters in Christ hello Brother and sisters in Christ, like we'll put up with their stuff. We'll argue with our biological brothers and sisters because we grew up with them arguing and fighting. Like, there's things like, I don't know about you, but I know, like, with my family, I can just talk about my family. They're going to be here in second service. I'm going to talk about them then, too. But, but, but here's the thing there are certain things within, within my family that other people look at, and it's like, yo, what's wrong with y'all? Like, like, you know, like, I don't know, some of y'all's family's just really loud, right? Like, our family's not just loud, we talk fast. Hello, right? Like, you see my sister and I, we get together, and we're talking, and it's it's crazy, right? The thing is, there's certain things that we do, and you know what? You would be like, man, I wouldn't tolerate that because it's not your brother. It's not your sister. Ah, that brings a different light, right, when it comes to the body of Christ. You're my brother. You're my sister. I'm supposed to love you like that. I'm supposed to bear with you in love. Y'all remember that memory verse from the book of Ephesians, right? Bearing with one another in love, right? Right. I mean, that, 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 that's what it, it's there for a reason. Right. Because some of you are unbearable. Glory to God. Amen. <laughs> <Hey>, <laughs> I know I'm unbearable sometimes, too. It's OK. Listen, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not excluded from that. I'm just standing here. The reality is, if I'm sitting there, it doesn't matter. We all need to bear with one another in love, right? That's what this is, to love each other that way. And then he goes on to say, not lagging in diligence, right? So in honor, well, let's go there. In honor, giving preference to one another, right? So looking at others, right, and giving preference to them. Like, yo, you're more important than me. Like, thinking that way about your brothers and sisters. This is a whole, like, different way of thinking. And now just pause for a moment. Let's think for a second over here to the people who are immediately receiving this text. They're receiving this text, they're reading this, like, okay, give honor to others, right? Like have preferential. Like, look at so I'm a Jew and I'm supposed to look at a Gentile that way? Or I'm a Gentile and I'm supposed to look at the Jew that way? Hold on a second. How how is that possible? But this is what Paul is trying to get to, to the heart of what he's trying to communicate, that we would be preferential with each other. And he goes on to say not lagging in diligence, right? So be diligent in your love. He says fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Here's what we have to grasp. Our love towards others is really a service unto God. Get that. It's really service unto the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Think about all that right there. Being, Being a person that is rejoicing in hope, that is patient in tribulation. See, without diligence and fervency in our service to the Lord, our hope will wane, our patience will run short, and our prayers will not be steadfast, which will result in what? Hypocritical love. It's fake love. It's pretense. It's not real. It's not heartfelt. It's not moved by the gospel. It's not really towards one another. And then all of a sudden, we're not taking care of the needs of the saints. Let me ask you a question. Think about this. I mean, because the bottom line is what? Is someone operating in hypocritical love cares more about themselves than they do about others? Real love doesn't just wish the best for others, but it is invested in the best for others. When was the last time that you were uncomfortable for the sake of one of your brothers and sisters in Christ? When was it? When was the last time you paid someone else's bills? Hmm. Hey, let's lower the bar. When was the last time you just invited someone over for dinner? Think about this. I mean, church, this is God speaking to us. This is his word to us. Hospitality. You know, that, that, that word has this connotation in it about caring for the stranger. Hello. See, that culture was different than ours in a big way. But the reality is that we care about others. Hello. We care about those, that, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, real love, real love. seeks to be a blessing. Real love seeks to be a blessing. Look what Paul says here. He says, bless those who persecute you. Hallelujah. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of another verse here. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. See, here's the thing. We are promised persecution. Are you here? We're promised persecution. Persecution is going to happen. That doesn't mean you got to run into it. The fact of the matter is it's going to run into you. That's just a reality. What does it mean to be persecuted? See, because right away when we think about persecution, all of us have different ideas of what persecution is. Some of us think, well, in the United States of America, we don't have persecution. That's false. That's not true. We have a different level of persecution. Let me give you the definition of the word so you're not just listening to me. But what does this word actually mean in the original when you look up the word persecution? It means to one that runs after to pursue with hostile intentions or to harass. Hello. So the verse could read like this. It could say, bless those who harass you. Hello, somebody. Bless those who harass you. Now, this harassment has to be in line with our faith, right? It's got to be that. And, and, and obviously, this can be in general like we're harassed. But when we look at this here, we are supposed to bless them, not curse them. We're not supposed to speak bad about them. We're not supposed to wish evil upon them, right? You, and, and, and Paul is, is making it clear, here. you cannot rejoice. Now look at this, because he goes on and says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Let me ask you this. Think about this now. Let's not just read through the text. How much, of, uh, how much rejoicing have you done with your brothers and sisters? Like when they are experiencing some type of blessing in their life, like you're rejoicing with them. Like, you know, I'm like overjoyed in your heart. You know, not that like, man, God, why not me? Mm Mm-hmm. But like legit rejoicing with them. And he says to, he says to weep with those who weep. Listen, there's a lot of weeping going on. Are you weeping with your brothers and sisters? Have you wept with them? Here's what I want you to understand. You cannot rejoice or mourn with someone you don't know. You're never going to rejoice with someone you don't know. Not really. It doesn't hit your heart. (laughs) You're never going to mourn with someone you don't know. (laughs) You don't know them. Why would you? You're not going to cry. Like, I, you know, sometimes when, you know, when, when, like, famous people die that I really don't know, and, you know, people get all nostalgic online, and they're like, oh, my goodness, so-and-so died. I'm like, did you even know them? Like, like I mean, people are, like, dying because someone died. And listen, I understand, like, you know, feeling, you know, some, some type of way. But, but, man, like, some people go, I think, a little bit overboard. But the reality of that is they don't know that person. But listen, we sit by each other every week, just, just right in this building. <laughs> Do we rejoice with each other? Do we mourn with one another? That's what the church is supposed to be doing, right? That's what Paul says. And here's what happens is you won't know them if you're not seeking to live in harmony with them. See, notice what Paul goes on to say. Be of the same mind toward one another. That, 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 that word picture there is be in harmony with one another. Listen, you can't be in harmony with one another if you never see one another. Hello. If you're never around one another, that just doesn't happen, right? And so Paul is making it clear. We are to be of the same mind toward one another. We're supposed to have the same mind, the same mind of love, the same mind of, of abhorring evil, of loving what is good, but all of that kind of stuff there. And he says, Do not set your mind on things that are high or high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And here's the truth you won't seek harmony with others if you don't walk in humility. Let me just say it like this. Prideful people, they don't love without hypocrisy. When you're you're prideful, when you're high-minded, you don't love without hypocrisy. You don't really care about other people because other people are either there to help you or they're in your way. Hello. It's not real love. It's not about them. It's not about where they are. It's not about coming to understand them. And so we have to do what? We have to make sure that, look, just as Jesus left his comfort and his rightful space to rescue us, so you and I must be willing to get uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel and the lives of others. That is what should be happening. That we should be willing to look at our Savior as an example. The one who did not have to come, but he chose to come. The one who left glory to come and save us from our sin. That is what the gospel calls us to do. Third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, real love love is not not overcome overcome by evil. Real love is not overcome by evil. It's not overcome by evil. What does Paul say in verse 17 to 21? He says, repay no one evil for evil. A lot of our churches need to hear that. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is not, now what does that mean? Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Listen, church, please know this. I know that we hear this all the time, but I don't know that we grasp this. People are looking at us They're looking at our lives. And so we need to be sure that our lives are associated with things that bring glory to God. Hello. We need to be sure that we are regarding good in the sight. Listen, God is saying, a lot of people walk around, well, it doesn't matter what people think about me. Oh, it does matter what people think about you because what they think about you, they think about Him. What they, especially when you've been vocal about your faith. You've been vocal about yourself being a Christian. And so we are supposed to live in a way that is not repaying evil for evil. Listen, when people are doing you wrong, you don't go and do them wrong back. Hello. How about this? When people are talking bad about you, you don't go talking bad about them. Those are some practical things that I think we have to consider. He goes on and he says in verse 18, if it is possible. (laughs) I like that. He's, he, he doesn't sound very optimistic, right? He's like, if, if it's possible, you know, if it's possible. Because in some cases, it's not possible. But he says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Live in peace with all men. Now, I want you to notice here, he didn't say all Christians. That isn't what he said. He said all men. So that means believers and non-believers. Followers of Jesus, rejectors of Jesus. He says live peaceably with them. Living peaceably doesn't mean that we agree on everything. It means that I want to be honorable to God. I want to recognize you as an image bearer of God. And I want to treat you with dignity and respect. And I want to be a person that demonstrates the love of God. So if it is possible, as much as it depends on you. So what is Paul saying? You don't be the cause of friction. Hello. You don't be the cause of discord. Listen, it may be them that is causing discord, but let them come back and say, well, why don't you like them? I don't know. I just don't like them. Amen. Well, it's not you. It's not because you did A, B, C, and D, right? So this is what Paul is communicating. He's communicating to us, letting us know, hey, this is how followers of Jesus are supposed to live as living sacrifices. This is what unhypocritical love looks like. Look what he says. I love this. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. In other words, hey man, don't 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 take it on your own. Don't do what you want to do. But he goes on and he says what he says. For it is written, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay." Says the Lord. Now, some of us think, well, you know what, Lord, you get him, All right? Like, hey, you know what, God? I'm not going to get him. You get him. Your wrath, vengeance is yours. And we start this whole thing where it's like this manipulation thing inside of us because we're waiting for God to get him. Look, God, I'm not going to put my mouth on him. God, I'm not going to say, God, you get him. Wait a second. That's not what God says, is it? He says, bless those who persecute you. Isn't that what he just said a couple of verses earlier? In other words, you should be praying for them. You should be asking God, God, have mercy on them. God, don't have. Listen, I don't know if you understand what God's vengeance looks like. I don't think any of us do because we don't have the ability to truly understand what hell is like. Vengeance is, or hell is God's vengeance against sin and unrepentant sinners. Are you here? That is an eternity of separation away from God. I don't want to see God's vengeance on anybody's life, no matter how much of an enemy of mine they are. I don't want to see that. I want God to be merciful to them. That's what we have to, that, that's, that's a heart of love, right? Is that we want God to show mercy to that person. He goes on to say, therefore, and he, he points it out. He says, if your enemy, not your friend, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he, speaking of your enemy again, is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now that's confusing, is it not? How many of y'all know what what, what that means? Just raise your hand if you know what it means, because I want you to come and explain it, because I'm still kind of up in the air. (sighs) As As I've read this, I always understood it to mean that it means that when you are kind to someone who is unkind to you, when you are gracious to someone who is ungracious towards you, what you are doing is you are actually allowing that sting of conviction to come upon their li- upon their lives that's what I really understand this to mean but as I was doing some digging and some research, one person pointed out and he said this he said i don't he the, the writer said this he, he couldn't quote where he got this information from, but he remembered reading it some time ago and so he's one of the commentators that I enjoy reading he deals with a lot of definitions of words and one of the things that he said was this he it says, back in those times when, these, when this was written, right, I think this is quoted from like the book of Proverbs, so this is thousands of years ago, before we had ovens and all that kind of stuff, he said that they always had to have a burning fire in their homes, right, there always had to be this, this, this fire that was there. And whenever your neighbor, whenever their coals went out or something like that, a neighbor may come to you and say, hey, I need some fire to, you know, to turn this fire back on. And then what happens is, I don't know if any of you have ever seen, and I noticed this when we went on a mission trip to Mexico, but I I recall that what they did was the women would come to the, um, you know, to the place to get the water from the well. And when they came and got it, like a lot of them, they'd carry this stuff on their head. And I was like, wow, that's kind of, you know, weird. And, you know, you see that in other countries, like these women are carrying stuff on their heads. I'm sorry, ladies. It's just, you know, they got you carrying stuff. But nonetheless, right, what would happen is they carried the stuff on their head. And so what would happen when the man would come and ask for, uh, you know, this heap of coal, what you would do is you would dump it on his head not on his head, literally on the, on the, on the vessel that was on his head so he could go and he could turn the fire on. And so what is he saying? If that's the reality, which he said, I believe that this is it. He's, he's making an analogy. What you are doing is you are meeting the need of that person, which ties in with what? When you meet the need of that person, you are no longer trying to make that person feel some kind of way. You are simply being that vessel of love and grace toward them. And then guess what happens? God gets a hold of their heart because they have have seen in you the love of God that they don't deserve they've seen in you the love of Christ that they do not deserve and so what is the last verse there he says do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil and he doesn't end it there with good don't just overcome evil in other words don't just not fall into the temptation don't just not uh, fall into the to the desire to want wrong for someone else but do good seek god listen to some of us we don't want to do this because we feel like if we're keeping it 100 we feel like it's enough that i didn't curse you out hello <laughs> it's enough that i didn't go ahead and and listen it, you, you we'll say it like this it's not about you like well i don't curse well no but you could you don't have to curse someone out to curse someone out hello It's good enough that I didn't tell you off. It's good enough that I didn't respond to you the way that you deserved, right? Or the way that I felt like, you know, like for me, I'm like, well, I didn't respond to you. So, you know, I'm good. But wait a second. God says, no, wait, overcome evil with good. Not just overcome evil, but with good. Do good. Find a way to be a blessing to that person. Find a way to honor that person. And we have to keep it in the context of our lives, but this is what Paul is communicating to us. And here's what I say about that. As believers, we are called to a higher living in a humble way. Listen to this. Our greatest attestation to maturity in the faith will be how we address evil. How do we deal with evil? How do we deal with persecutors? How do we deal with harassment? How do we deal with words against us? How do we deal with actions against us? How we do that is going to be the biggest, the, the biggest communication of the maturity of your faith. Where are you at in your faith? Are you willing to endure some hardship for the benefit of others? Are you willing to endure some hardship in order to bring God glory? See, Because if you're not, then you're immature in your faith. you got to grow in your faith in this area of showing love. So here's the thing, we have to ask this question, where am I struggling to manifest real love? Where is it that I'm struggling? Where is it that you are struggling to manifest real love? I don't know where it is, where is it? You know. Here's, here's what I realize, is that real love is rooted in the realist love. Real love is rooted in the realist love. See, the reason why Paul can say all of this stuff that is so difficult, and I could tell by the, by, by the quietness in the room that some of you were feeling the weight of some of those questions that I was asking. And I'm glad you felt the weight of those questions. We should feel the weight of those questions. I don't want you to not feel the weight of those questions. What I want you to do is I want you to take God's word for real and say, man, I want to be a person who is living the way that God has called me to live. Not because if I don't, he's going to be mad at me. Not because if I don't, I don't get A, B, C, and D. No, because if I don't, I'm not honoring him the way that he deserves to be honored. If I don't, I'm not honoring the sacrifice that Jesus made. See, the reason why weekly we go through the gospel, right, and we talk about the fact that, man, we are all by birth sinful, that we are all by nature, right? By nature, we're children of wrath because of what? Because our propensity is towards sin. Therefore, our actions are always going to lead us to sinful things. We're going to choose sin, right? Like that's the natural capacity, the natural desire and inclination within our hearts. And and we realize that. Even when we desire to do good, we will fall short of God's glory. And so Jesus comes and he dies in our place. He comes and he sheds blood on our behalf to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that way we can have a right relationship with God and we can know his love and he can and we can experience him in a relationship. He does that for us so that way we no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear separation from God. We no longer have to worry, am I a loved son or a daughter? We no longer have to do that because of what Jesus did. And so that leads us to what? That leads us to expressing the realest love to other people. And so I don't know where it is that you struggle with this, but here's what I do know. If the roots of the gospel aren't growing deeper in your heart, you will never, never flourish in the manifestation of real love. So where is it that you're struggling? I don't know where you're struggling. I can only talk about myself. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this day that you have given us. And thank you for the wonder of who you are, the mercy that you have shown us on the cross. And Lord, as your words have gone forth this morning to my brothers and my sisters in this room, Lord, I just ask that even as they were weighty on me as I studied and as I prepared and sought you for This message, my God, I pray that that same weight would go forth upon them, but Lord, that the same liberating power that I felt knowing that you are there with me. You don't want me to carry carry this load alone. You don't want them to carry this load alone, God. Let us respond in faith. Let us recognize where we are, and Lord, let us follow you with fervent hearts, seeking you in prayer, God, and allowing you to change our hearts. And make us more and more like you, Jesus. God, we thank you for this. And we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Come on and give God a hand of praise.